At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is The Look Ahead with Scott Seidenberg on VSIN, the sports betting network. Scott Seidenberg back here with you. This is The Look Ahead on VSIN, the sports betting network on Twitter at Scott's On Air, S C O T T S O N A I R. Uh, we had so much football to digest here. It's uh, hard to ignore the baseball that we saw as well, or it's easy to ignore the baseball that we saw as well. Lots of day games here on Thursday, including uh, the play of the day loss for us that was really painful to watch, honestly. Uh, took the White Sox in the first five innings backing Dylan Cease. And all Dylan Cease did was... Uh, throw six innings of three-hit baseball. He allowed one run on a solo home run, because that seems to be the only way you can score off of Dylan Cease, and he struck out eight batters. Vinny Pasquantino was the uh, solo home run in the bottom of the second inning. But that was it. Royals didn't score again off of Dylan Cease. They scored in the seventh inning, but for the first five, they didn't score again. And the White Sox did not score a single run, despite the fact that they had several opportunities to do so. In the first inning, got one runner on base, left him stranded. That's okay, it happens. In the second inning, back-to-back singles to lead off the inning. First and second, nobody on base. We get a fly out and a double play, no runs scored. In the third inning, single, single, single. Bases loaded with nobody out. Strikeout, strikeout, ground out. No run scored. A 1-2-3 inning in the fourth. A 1-2-3 inning in the fifth. And that was all she wrote for the Chicago White Sox. How bad was it overall for the White Sox, who lost this game to the Royals 5-3? They had 14 hits in the game and only managed three runs, two in the eighth and one in the ninth. 14 hits, and they only scored three runs, and one of them, and two of those runs, excuse me, came on a Grandal home run. So that's one hit, two runs. That's 13 other hits resulted in only one run. That was just an absolute 
ugly first five innings to watch. And you know what? I knew it was a loss after the third inning. I tweeted it out. I knew, and you guys can follow me, at Scott's on air. I knew it was a loss. And when they had bases loaded with nobody out and they don't score a single run, I didn't care that I still had the fourth inning and the fifth inning. And people will be like, well, it's a losing mentality. Yeah, I know. It was a loss. I just chalked it up as a loss. That's it. I knew already. Well, what was interesting was that, you know, I felt pretty good about little closing line value. Got it at 135. It closed at minus 150. So felt good about that. Saved about 15 cents. But that was it. And I feel bad for Dylan Cease, who pitched a heck of a game like he always has. That's now, taking a look at his stats now, in his last 14 games, Dylan Cease has allowed six earned runs. And if we add up the eight strikeouts, that is now 103 strikeouts in six in uh, 82 innings for Dylan Cease in his last 13 starts. That's so dominant. His odds, I talked about it last night for the Cy Young, we're going to improve off this performance, and they did. He is now plus 200 to win the American League Cy Young Award compared to Justin Verlander, who is at minus 135. So that was a painful loss there. Uh, also, well, we hit the Astros on the run line. They won 7-3. to Framber Valdez, seven shutout innings. Uh, lost the Orioles. Remember last night I said Orioles plus a run and a half. If the line goes down, um, the line didn't really go down. You know, it was plus one. It was... Uh, you know, plus one and a half was was juiced, so I think it was like minus one seventy five, and a little too heavy or minus one eighty. Um, Orioles lose four to three as the Red Sox score a run. It was three nothing. Then it was three three. Red Sox scored in the bottom of the sixth, and they win the game four to three. Now the Orioles will head to Tampa for a key series against the Rays, and then the Field of Dreams game, which. Because of the NFL preseason, I'm sure the ratings are going to be terrible. It's a bad scheduling spot. But then again, it's the Cubs and the Reds. So it's not like this game was too top. It's not like it was Yankees-Dodgers, you know, Astros-Mets or anything. Like, it's not like it was marketable team. Well, these are marketable teams, but you know what I'm saying? It's not like it was teams that everyone around the nation is looking to watch. Plus, you know, last year was so awesome. It was the first time the game had ever been played. It was a novelty. You brought out Kevin Costner. You had the James Earl Jones speech. People will come, right? It was incredible to watch. I'll be honest. I got a little emotional. I mean, if you don't get emotional watching Field of Dreams, do you even have a soul? So, you know, watching the Field of Dreams game last year kind of brought back those emotions of watching that movie. And this game tonight just didn't have the same effect. Yes, it was cool watching Ken Griffey Jr. and Sr. come out of the corn and, you know, Griffey say, hey, Dad, you want to have a catch? Like, eh, that was great. And then they were joined by other, you know, fathers and sons and fathers and daughters uh, who had a catch in the outfield. But I felt like it was a little discombobulated. 
that wasn't as wasn't as organized or as um, produced as the entry was last year. Like last year, and do yourself a favor. You ever watch it yet? Go on YouTube and watch it. Like Kevin Costner walks out of the corn and he just stands there and he looks around and he's taken in the whole moment, right? Looking around at the atmosphere, looking around at the corn, the field, the how the Kinsella house is in the background. It's just it was so amazing last year. And then he he joins the crew in the booth for a couple of innings, and then you had the Yankees and White Sox in an absolute slugfest going back and forth, back and forth with the home runs. I thought we were going to get a bunch of runs in this game. It was three nothing in the first inning. After the first inning, I'm like, here we go. Over over City, we got one more run in the fourth inning, two runs in the bottom of the seventh, and the game finished four to two. So uh, it just, to me, Major League, uh, this happens all the time. It's not just in sports. It's in life. You know, an event happens, and sometimes it's better as a one-off. And it's just, you're never going to duplicate the first time it happens. Um, you know, hockey doing this, the, uh, the Winter Classic every year, maybe that's a little different because you get to experience the different atmospheres of where they have the games, right? And, but now they've kind of watered that down a bit because they have the stadium series also in the NHL. So they have multiple outdoor games every single year. And then the Heritage Classic in Canada as well. So it's like there's so many outdoor games now in hockey. It's like the novelty is worn off a little bit. When you have, you know, college football played in non-traditional settings, that's pretty cool. You know, there were some, um, what was the big college football game? Um, It was... What was it? It was the battle at Bristol. That's what it was. It was Virginia Tech and Tennessee at Bristol Motor Speedway. That was cool. It was the largest college football attendance ever. They had over 156,000 people there at the racetrack. That's awesome. They haven't done it again. That's cool. Don't do it again. But... um. This whole Field of Dreams thing probably would have been better as a one-off. I know they invested the money in building the stadium, and yes, I know they got some other things that go on there throughout the year, but like, you know, Little League tournaments and, and all this stuff that happens, I don't think we need to see it every year. I think last year was magical. It was great. This year, I, I was watching preseason football. I didn't really care about it. I watched, I was flipping back and forth. Didn't captivate me. Not like last year's game did. So I don't know if Major League Baseball is going to keep doing this year in and year out just to kind of maximize the money that they got from, you know, building the stadium. But to me, I wasn't feeling it. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at Scott's on air, S C O T T S O N A I R. We have uh, a much fuller schedule of baseball coming up here on Friday, uh, including some really important series in playoff in the playoff picture. The Orioles will take on the Rays. That is a big series in the playoff landscape. The Mets take on the Phillies. That series will have some impact. 
and the battle for the National League Central is on. Brewers take on the Cardinals. First place will exchange hands multiple times throughout the course of this weekend. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Anthony uh, Dabundo. Uh, uh, if I say that name wrong a couple of times, don't blame me. You say it 10 times fast. Anthony Dabundo will join us from Action Network as we break down some Major League Baseball here coming up and talk about what he likes moving forward and also take a look at the games here on Friday. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Once again, hit me up on Twitter at Scott's On Air, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the sports betting network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is the look ahead on VSIN, the sports betting network. Ice cold beers, cold hard cash. Join the action on the pitch with the Heineken 2022 Soccer Prediction Challenge. Compete in 20 free to play pools this season for your shot at a share of $100,000 in total cash prizes. Head to DraftKings.com slash Heineken now to start your run at victory. Heineken, beer made better. 21 and over only, terms and conditions, and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Please drink responsibly. Scott Seidenberg back here with you. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the sports betting network. I mentioned important series that will begin here on Friday. And in the National League Central, the Cardinals' lead over the Brewers is only a half a game. So these two teams will play the three-game set. And uh, you look at the the pitching matchups here in this series where first place is going to exchange hands every single day. In Game 1, it's going to be Eric Lauer and Jordan Montgomery. Corbin Burns goes against Adam Wainwright in Game 2, and Aaron Ashby and Miles Michaelis in Game 3 on Sunday. A very important series for the National League Central. Let's welcome in Anthony DeBundo from Action Network here to the program. And Anthony, let's start with that National League Central. If you have to make a bet right now, who's winning this division, the Cardinals or the Brewers? I would probably have to take the Cardinals at this point. Unfortunately, uh, I am holding a Brewers ticket from earlier this season. The, they were my preseason pick to win the division. But 
I think the Cardinals additions at the deadline are going to ultimately make the difference. They made some depth piece additions to their starting rotation. They may even get Jack Flaherty back for September. I'm a little skeptical on him, but overall, I think their additions, along with their improving young bats, are going to ultimately win this division, whereas Milwaukee didn't get better at the deadline and didn't address you know, the, their lack of depth in their, in their lineup. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I think the Cardinals are the stronger team. I mentioned Jordan Montgomery is going to get the start in uh, one of these games here in this series. He's starting the first game here on Friday against Eric Lauer. I can't for the life of me figure out why the Yankees traded this guy. I mean, Harrison Bader's hurt right now, and I don't think the Yankees really needed the outfield depth, but what they do need is arms. And I don't think it's a coincidence that since this guy got traded, the Yankees have been losing some baseball games. Uh, we, we've heard stories about the camaraderie. Him and Jameson Tyone were best buddies. Um, I'm a little concerned what's going on with the Yankees. What's your take on them? Yeah, it was definitely weird. The, the biggest thing with the Yankees at the beginning of the season, at least my question mark, was could the rotation hold up? We know Garrett Cole is great, but after that, you had some unproven guys and you had some guys with injury histories with Severino and Tyone. And the one guy who you knew was just going to be a rock solid middle of the rotation starter was Montgomery. And now the last, the last two months where they haven't played quite as well, uh, their starting pitching ERA is actually in the bottom 10 in the league. So when they go into a series now, yes, you have Cole Montes and Cortez, but if Cortez falls off a little bit, now you're wondering, you know, who's our third starter. So I think the Yankees will be fine. They're going to get to the playoffs probably the second best team in the American league by a pretty comfortable margin, I think, but it's definitely a little shaky if they get into a long series now and one guy gets hurt. Yeah. I don't think they were relying on Domingo Herman to pitch every fifth day. Herman gets the start for the Yankees against the Red Sox here on Friday night. Yankees are a short favorite in Boston. Any re any feel for this game? I would have to lean toward the over. Uh, two pitchers that I'm not particularly fond of. The the biggest thing with Yavaldi is, you know, he was kind of a positive regression candidate. He ran a little bit unlucky in the first half of the season, giving up more homers than he should based on his, you know, past history. But he's lost a few ticks in the velocity of his fastball. He's seeing, you know, 94, 95 instead of 97, 98, and that's making a big difference. His hitters are really squaring him up since he's come back off the injured list. He has not looked right. I, I think he's probably still injured. That would be my guess as to why he's struggling. Uh, and and this Boston lineup is starting to get healthy. I think their numbers were a bit deflated in the last few weeks because of all the injuries they had, but starting to get a little bit healthier should be uh, improving a little bit. Boston's lineup, not nearly as bad as it's looked the last three weeks. Uh, two pitchers I'm not particularly fond of. Uh, we go from the Red Sox to the White Sox, who uh, are really struggling. You know, that was such a disappointing loss on Thursday to the Royals. Dylan Cease goes out there and throws six innings of one-run ball, strikes out eight, and gets no help from his offense. This offense has really struggled. Michael Kopech gets the start going up against the Tigers. They are massive favorites at minus 235. Is that too high of a price for a White Sox team that is just not playing good baseball right now? I think it's too high of a price for Michael Kopech. Mm -hmm. You know, Michael, Michael Kopech's numbers at the surface level look completely fine. You look at Kopech and you'd say, oh, everything's fine. But when you take a look under the hood, we're starting to see some signs that perhaps the innings load that he's had this year is starting to pile up. Uh, Eno Saris of The Athletic has a, has a great model on stuff that looks at the pitcher velocities, spin rates, and movements of pitches and how uh, you can use that to 
kind of judge how good a pitcher is, how effective does his stuff move and, and whatnot. Kopech has had the second biggest drop-off in the last 400 pitches of any pitcher in all of baseball. Uh, and so while the underlying numbers may not have caught up to that or the surface level numbers, you know, his ERA and whatnot, ultimately, if, you're, if your stuff is moving a lot less and his command is already a major issue, he's one of the worst command guys in all of the, all of the regular starters in all of baseball, uh, I do think he's going to have some issues. Like, so I'm, I'm taking some Tigers team totals. The reason, and I don't do team totals a ton because I, I prefer to just take the, you know, the, the underdog on the money line. But we have not seen a lot of Daniel Norris this year. And the White Sox, as bad as their lineup or as inconsistent as their lineup has been, they do still smash lefties. They're top five, top six weighted runs created plus against lefties. Uh, whereas, you know, they have, the, I think them and St. Louis are the two teams with the biggest kind of split difference between righties and lefties. Mm-hmm. So I don't love taking lefties when I have to face the White Sox. So I'm going to go team total. There's an over one and a half first five out there uh, for Detroit. I know their lineup's brutal, but I do think Kopech's going to see some major regression the rest w- of the season. Would you take the over eight and a half for the game? I would definitely lean that way as well. Uh, again, of course, we don't know what we're going to get from Norris. I mean, he hasn't really been pitching. Sure. Uh, and so, I, you know, first, first, second start coming back off the injury, you, you're never really sure what you're going to get. Detroit's kind of just piecing together their starting pitching at the moment. But uh, I would definitely lean toward the over as well for the full game. Phillies take on the Mets in a key series uh, as they are trying to climb up the wild card standings. They have looked incredible as of late. They've won, what is it, 13 of their last 15 games, I think. They just had their winning streak snapped by the Marlins here on Thursday. And now they have to go up against Max Scherzer. Mets are uh, laying almost $2 here against the Phillies. Any interest in the underdog here? Yeah, I do. You know, I didn't originally. The overnight look ahead, you know, some books offered lines before and just after the Phillies played today. Uh, the Mets were minus 155, minus 160. Phillies were sitting around plus 135, plus 140. No interest there, but the Mets have taken a ton of money. Uh, you know, Scherzer is, of course, the big name, the big public pitcher that everybody knows and loves. Uh, Ranger Suarez has been really, really impressive. Since the first month of the season, he had some early season issues with visas. He didn't get a normal spring training. Uh, he was really bad the first two months of the season. Since the All-Star break, he had three consecutive starts where he didn't allow an earned run and then was very solid in his last start as well. Gave up a little bit of, you know, third time through the order, sixth inning or so, gave up, ran into some trouble. But he's been very impressive. Uh, looked more like the 2021 Ranger Suarez that pitched to a, you know, two e, sub two ERA. So, I'm buying on Suarez, and I think this line moved heavily because of Kyle Schwarber, who is unlikely to play, so definitely hurts the Philadelphia lineup, but it is just one hitter. So his lineup does have more depth than usual. And so I think this line's run just a bit too far, and so I took some Philadelphia uh, plus 175 was out there, plus 170. That's about as low as I would, or as low as I would go before I would say, you know, show some, we, have to, we still have to respect Scherzer, who's putting up another unbelievable year. Yeah, you don't have to sell me on Ranger Suarez. I have a 100, 100 to 1 ticket on him from spring training to win the National League Cy Young that, I mean, I could just rip up, but uh, I was a big believer in this guy coming into the 2022 season. Uh, what other plays do you have here that you look at for this Friday card? Yeah, the first one that jumped out to me was the Guardians. You know, I love betting the Guardians as a big underdog, especially against a pitcher who relies heavily on strikeouts. Guards don't strike out. By lowest strikeout rate in all of baseball, especially against righties. Uh, Jose Barrios has pitched better, so you know that definitely has to be taken into consideration. He had a terrible start to the season. He has been better, and I think that's reflected in the number. But Cal Quantrill's also improved. Not a pitcher I typically love to back, 
because of how much he relies on you know contact and putting the ball in play and that's dangerous against this Jays lineup. But at plus one fifty, his stuff has been improving. I like the Guardians. That was the first. Those were the you know the first things that really stuck out to me. Uh, the the Red Sox over. I want to see if the market comes down a little bit on that. We're still waiting on some potential lineup news with Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's another one I'll be looking to play. All right. Uh, well, looks pretty good. I mean, it's going to be a fun Friday. Uh, you get the Astros and the A's. What a it's massive a big favorite. 345, the Astros <laughs> laying. And then, of course, the Dodgers, who have won 10 straight games covering the run line, take on the Royals. They are laying minus 235. Uh, Anthony, great stuff as always. We appreciate the time and the insight. Look forward to doing it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. There he is, Anthony DeBundo from Action Network, giving us some plays here for Friday's Major League Baseball card. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at Scott's On Air. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN. This is This is the look ahead on VSN, the sports betting network. The college football guide is out now. Start your football season on the right foot with expert profiles of all 131 teams including team trends, power ratings and over/under recommendations, plus our best season win total bets, Heisman hopefuls and playoff predictions. The only way to get access to this year's football guide is to become a VSIN All Access subscriber. Sign up for VSIN All Access today and get everything we offer for the entire football season, including our upcoming pro football betting guide. Subscribe now at vsin.com slash subscribe. Scott Seidenberg back here with you. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the sports betting network. Coming up about 15 minutes or so from now, we'll be joined by uh, Scott Reichel from the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. Get back into the NFL. But as we read the college football betting guide read, let's talk a little college football. Uh, There's a lot of hype surrounding a lot of teams this year. We look at the top teams, and it's all going to be the same. There's not going to be a surprise at the top. Alabama is going to be Alabama. I don't think that anybody in the SEC West is going to get to Alabama. That game against Texas in week two is going to be very exciting to watch. But I think Alabama rolls them. The Texas A&M game is going to be in Tuscaloosa. So not worried about that game. And that's it. The Auburn game is in Tuscaloosa as well. Alabama's road games this year at Texas. I expect them to roll. At Arkansas, they'll handle their business. At Tennessee, come on. At LSU, now that could be intriguing because we don't know what we're going to get from Brian Kelly and this LSU team. And it's back-to-back road games because you go from LSU, then you got to go to Oxford the following week. 
to play against Ole Miss. But then they have their usual SEC cupcake game at the end of the year, and then the Auburn game. Alabama's going to the SEC championship game. Everyone understands it. Everyone accepts it. Don't worry about Alabama. Ohio State. There's no one better in the Big Ten. There's no one that actually even comes close in the Big Ten. So they're going to get to the Big Ten championship game. They'll get to the college football playoff. Georgia's got as good a chance as anybody to win the SEC East and get back to the SEC championship game and have a chance to go to the college football playoff even if they lose the SEC championship game. Because looking at the Georgia schedule, they beat all they beat Oregon in week one, which they should. There's really nothing, um, no reason why they don't win that game and win convincingly. Their true road games at South Carolina, meh, at Missouri, ha, at Mississippi State, and at Kentucky. That's it. And then I mean the Florida games in Jacksonville, but I mean that's it. Come on. Come on. Over 10 and a half. That's cake for this team. I think we stop at three teams. Because even though Clemson has the talent to be considered the fourth best team in the country, if we're breaking it down into tiers, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia are just on another level than everybody else. Clemson, I say, is like the next in that group. But I think Clemson is closer to Notre Dame, Michigan, Texas A&M, you know, than they are to Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. The team that it seems like everybody's high on is the Utah Utes. In the preseason coaches poll, they're ranked eighth. I think when the AP poll comes out, they should be similarly ranked, maybe even higher. Maybe if you flip-flop them in Texas A&M or you downgrade Michigan a little bit, I don't know. But Utah is really good. I don't think people understand just how good this team is. And I know that there are a lot of people that are on this network that are very high on the Utes, and with good reason. Like, this over this win total is at 9. I just don't. How does this team go under nine? That's the question. Like, someone has to come on here and, 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 and answer that for me. How does this team go under nine wins? Who are they losing to? Literally, who are they losing to? If you want to say they lose the week one in Florida, I'll give that to you. They're an underdog in that game. So, okay. I actually think maybe that line flipped. They were an underdog in that game. Maybe they're a favorite now. But anyway, week one at Florida. They win the game, feel good about it. The rest of their schedule, where are they losing? Yeah, Utah's actually a two-point favorite in that game. That thing flipped, huh? They were three-point dogs. Now they're two-point favorites. Very interesting there. Um, True road games at UCLA. All right. I like DTR. I like Brian Kelly. Uh, I mean, Chip Kelly. But I don't think that's a threat. 
They play USC at home, which is a huge advantage for them. They go to Arizona State to cakewalk. They go to Oregon. That might be a tough test at the end of the year. And then to Colorado and to Washington State. So there's the true road games. At Florida Week 1, where they have now become the favorite. At at Arizona State, at Washington State, at Oregon, at Colorado. At UCLA. Okay, maybe they lose the Oregon game. Maybe. I just can't, I can't see it. I can't see Utah being a team that doesn't win nine games. Like, how do they win under? Okay, USC. They play USC at home. They're four and a half point favorites right now. They're a one point dog right now, the game in Oregon. And that probably could change for Utah. Because at that point in the season, they might be undefeated and ranked in the top six in the country. And then the money will come in on them. So if there's anybody on this list that I think has an opportunity to rise up and be that you know fourth best team in the country, it, it, it's probably Utah. Now, Oklahoma intrigues me so much because I'm a big Dylan Gabriel fan. Loved him at Central Florida. Now he gets his you know, former offensive coordinator back in Jeff Levy with more talent around him at Oklahoma. So Dylan Gabriel could light up the, the, the stat sheet there. And Oklahoma's got the talent. The thing that you worry about with Oklahoma is with such a fast-paced offense, how does it affect their defense? And we know that Brent Venables, his bread and butter is defense. So he's going to, that, that, that's his goal here, is to get this team to play solid defense and shut down the opposing teams. But when your defense has to be on the field more often because your offense is going at such a quicker pace, it does put a strain on your defense. So that's one thing that you have to you know take into consideration when it comes to the uh, offensive style there at Oklahoma. Baylor, Oklahoma State, I think the Big 12 is wide open. That's going to be a lot of fun. Oregon, we talked about them with Oklahoma. NC State is a team that's getting a lot of love there in the ACC. Michigan State, I don't think they're, you know, ready to compete there in the Big 10. You know, Texas is interesting because they're 18th in the coaches poll. Somebody voted them for number one. I don't know why, but there's so much hype around Texas. So much hype. And everyone's talking about, you know, whether it's Quinn Ewers or um, even uh, Malik Murphy who's getting a lot of comments from Steve Sarkeesian and comparisons to Vince Young. So <laughs> there's a lot going on there with the Texas Longhorns that are getting people very excited down there in Austin. But for them, I got to see it before I actually believe it. And we're going to get a chance to see it real early 
as they play Alabama in week two and are massive underdogs. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at Scott's On Air. Scott Reichel from the Sports Gambling Podcast Network joins me next here on The Look Ahead on VEASAN. This is The Look Ahead on VSIN, the sports betting network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare back here on the look ahead on vcin the sports betting network i'm scott seidenberg hit me up on twitter at scott's on air s-c-o-t-t-s-o-n-a-i-r joining us now from the sports gambling podcast network is scott reichel and scott i just got done talking a little college football and one of the teams that i'm just so in love with this season and i don't think i'm the only one is the utah utes when you look at this team and their chance to win the Pac-12 this year, how high are you on Kyle Whitten- Whittingham's crew? I'm very high on this team. Now, of course, the public pick's going to be USC. You look at all the firepower, you look at Lincoln Riley, all the houses and planes he got as part of the deal. But USC should be a very talented team. The only problem is they still don't play any defense, and Lincoln Riley's probably not going to help them with that. Now, Utah does have a lot of experience coming back from last year's team. Defending conference champions, Rising's back at quarterback. They do return five of their top six pass catchers. Now, Covey is gone, which is a big loss from special teams, but they're experienced and they're very talented. And you know, Whittingham gets them ready to go. The issue with Utah is going to be the schedule because they do play at UCLA at home against USC and at Oregon, which could be a bit tricky. But I really do like this Utah team because Whittingham is a really just consistent coach. And you know what you're going to get from him? I do wonder if USC might take a year in order to fully, I'd say, embrace the Lincoln-Riley philosophy. We'll see what happens, but I have a hard time backing a team like USC with a brand new coach, a bunch of new often, a bunch of uh, new coordinators, and they voluntarily don't play defense. Mm-hmm. I think that's a bit concerning. So with the new Pac-12 format where they uh, will not have divisions, it'll be the top two teams in the championship game, uh, if Utah gets there, who do they face in the Pac-12 title game? Uh, so that's the thing. Is Oregon, you want to make a case for if they were keeping the division format, but now they're not. And Oregon's schedule is pretty easy, to be honest, but I'm, I've am i really not been a Bo Nix guy. I never have been. And with Cristobal leaving and taking basically the entire staff, I'm not exactly sold on Oregon. There are rumors about a two-quarterback system, and I'm not sure how that's going to work out. 
I think you're probably going to see USC and Utah. I think they're the two best teams in the conference. I know they play against each other, which could, res- which is obviously going to result in one loss for one of them. Mm-hmm. But if you're asking me who I think is going to play against each other, I'm going to take the two best teams. Oregon schedule-wise has a shot, but when you when you really have to replace that much of the coaching staff, and I don't know about you, have, are you a Bo Nix guy? Because I really never have been. Uh, there was a few games I backed him at Auburn, uh, but there was also a few games where he extremely disappointed me. Uh, but there was one game where he did pull out a miracle. I think that was the uh, the, the spinning, getting out of the sack touchdown throw that he LSU? did. Yeah, so uh, that kind of helped out a little bit there. Um, would you take a flyer on UCLA to get to the Pac-12 title game? I think UCLA is potentially worth something if you believe in Chip Kelly and the system. I know that last year they made some strides. Uh, you have Robinson back at quarterback for what feels like about, what, the seventh year he's been <laughs> the quarterback there? But you, uh, UCLA is a good team. Uh, they obviously looked like it last year. They got Charbonnet back, which is going to help the running core. But I think you could take a flyer with them based on talent. I don't think they're going to get there. We've seen Chip Kelly's teams look really good at times and then struggle at other times. Last year's a good example because they looked really good early on, and they lost that late-night game to Fresno State, and you were kind of wondering what the story was there. I think you can make a case, but I don't think they're going to get there. I think Chip Kelly's teams seem to always perform relatively well, but not well enough to actually get to the conference title game. I think they'll probably finish somewhere around nine wins, and I don't think that's good enough, in my opinion. Caleb Williams, the third favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. Are you buying into the hype? I'm buying into the hype because he's talented and that the fact that Lincoln Riley, of course, has the chemistry with him and they're going to pad his stats like crazy <laughs> his first <laughs> season. But I think I have to be buying in terms of the actual production. I guess the question that I have to ask for you, based on what we've seen the last couple of years in the Heisman Trophy race, with the exception of Lamar Jackson, doesn't your team basically need to be one of the four playoff teams in order to actually get the award? Sure. I absolutely so, agree with that. Yep. That could hurt because if let's just say USC loses to Utah in that road game in the middle of the season, and let's say that they end up not making the playoffs, does that get held against them? It might. And I think that's a bit concerning, but Williams's numbers are going to be insane. I guess the question is, do you think that that short price is worth betting on? I don't because I don't have USC going to the playoff. Yeah, I would agree. I have no interest in Caleb Williams. I mean, I did when he was at Oklahoma, but I have no interest here with him this season at USC. I actually don't have interest in any of the favorites, to be honest with you, whether it's C.J. Stroud or the reigning Heisman champ in Bryce Young. I don't have interest in any of these guys. My first, Who are you looking at? So I have two plays for the Heisman. One is 50-1, to Jameer Gibbs, the transfer running back from uh, to Alabama. You look at just everything that Alabama brings to the table with Bryce Young as the reigning Heisman winner as one of the favorites, well, he could put up incredible numbers, but so can Jameer Gibbs, right, as the running back. I mean, we've seen this from teams before, whether it was Matt Leinert winning the Heisman and then the following year, Reggie Bush winning the Heisman, right? The the, the success is almost correlated. So I do think that as Alabama, you know, shines, I do think Jameer Gibbs has a tremendous season. He's at 50-1. to And then my long shot bomb at 100-1, to Cade Klubnik, the true freshman backup quarterback at Clemson. 
He's the number one quarterback recruit in the country. I don't think that Dabo Swinney has a ton of faith in DJ Uwe Ungale. And if he struggles at the beginning of the season, knowing that this roster is good enough to win the ACC and go undefeated and win and get to the college football playoff, they might be willing to pull the trigger. And if Klubnik gets nine starts and leads the team into the college football playoff and puts up the numbers, I think he'll have a case to get invited to New York City. Does it surprise you at all that there really has not been any buzz about a QB controversy over at Clemson? Because I find it fascinating that a lot of teams use the transfer portal to find replacements. I don't know what anybody from Clemson staff saw from Uyunglele that suggests <laughs> he should get the starting job again this year. And yet, I like your angle for it, but are they just going to stick with him because he's quote-unquote experienced because... His experience last year, they really didn't do him any good. No, I, listen, a lot of everything coming out of Clemson is talking about how good Klubnik looked in the spring game and how Dabo said he's ready to play early on in the season if called upon. But they are talking a lot about DJ. They're, and, and DJ's the third, the fourth favorite to win the Heisman Trophy, which makes no sense because all he had was that good game against Boston College or against Notre Dame, right? And, yeah. and, and we're looking at, at him and, you know, it's just Dabo defending him every single week. There's questions about this kid, and I don't think he wants to do that. So if he starts struggling, and let's say it's in week one, uh, week two, they play Furman, they're gonna or Louisiana Tech, they're, uh, they'll yeah. roll through those two teams. But if he struggles early on, I could see Klubnik getting the start when they play NC State in the conference opener. I think he should be starting from the opener. I think we agree well, on that. There you go. But I guess the one question you have is how stubborn Dabo's going to be, and I guess what might burn you is if Dabo waits too long to mm -hmm. make the switch, kind of like Oklahoma last year with Rattler and with Caleb Williams, Yeah, and by the time Williams took over, it might have been a little bit too late. Well, look, he's he's not shy about starting a true freshman. He started Trevor Lawrence as a true yeah. freshman, so he's not shy about that, so that would be my long shot bomb there with Klubnik uh, if he wins that starting, or if he earns that starting job and uh, leads Clemson to the ACC championship game. Uh, let's pivot here to the NFL. We had two preseason games. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from either the Giants and the Patriots or the Ravens and Titans? Uh, my, my, I think my favorite takeaway wasn't even actually involving players or anything like that. It was the ending of the Patriots-Giants game, <laughs> which I just found extremely amusing to me. Because Belichick, we know, is arguably the greatest coach of all time. That's kind of really not debatable at this point. And yet the Giants are in field goal range. Patriots have all three timeouts. And they don't use any of them. They just let the Giants run out the entirety of the clock. Yeah, they Just to kick game-winning field goal with four <laughs> seconds left. So you can make money betting preseason. I bet on the preseason as well. But I found it very funny. And it kind of tells you why some people stay away from it. It's because arguably the greatest coach in the history of the sport had no interest in trying to get the ball back at the end of the game. <laughs> he just wanted to go home. I found that the most interesting takeaway because I thought it was pretty funny. Yep, and the Ravens have won 21 straight now. I did bet against them because, listen, my handicap was correct. My info was wrong, though, because my handicap was on Malik Willis performing, and he did, except I thought it was going to be in the second half but he played the first half of this game. So that was my incorrect info. And uh, I thought he would play in the second half against third and fourth stringers, lead to a backdoor cover. Uh, and I did get the best of the number at four and a half, but it meant absolutely nothing for me. So 
21 straight now for the Baltimore Ravens and 19 and 2 against the spread in those 21 games. Scott, appreciate the time and the conversation, and we'll do it again real soon. Yep, looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. There he is, Scott Reichel. Check him out. Sports Gambling Podcast Network. Those guys do such a tremendous job over there. I'm Scott Sadenberg. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.